1: Josh Martin and Marty Haidt are friends, co-workers in addiction counseling, and podcasters who are sharing their spiritual journey of deconstruction and reconstruction. They invite us to join them as they reconsider the evangelicalism they were handed. Through their humorous but serious Tattoos in Jesus podcast, they are laying things out and working their way towards a better Christian vision. Part of that journey has led Josh to embrace universal reconciliation and Marty to embrace conditional immortality. And in this sense, I believe Josh and Marty are emblematic of a number of evangelicals who are currently leaving behind eternal conscious torment and evaluating what other options are available for them within the broader scope of the Christian tradition. Welcome, Josh and Marty, to the Grace Saves All podcast.
2: Thank you for having us. Pumped. We are pumped to be here as special guests yep. because we loved having you on. You got a lot of good feedback. It was a great conversation.
1: Yeah, I really think that there's a uh I think that a lot of my audience are evangelicals who are uh, just looking for different options and uh I, I'm happy to refer them to your episodes that you did. Uh I think the first was hell nah That's and right. then yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you did a series on on uh one was on universal reconciliation and other was on uh, conditional immortality mm-hmm. and you guys were just sharing some of your different thoughts about it and how you'd got to those positions. And I mean, it seemed like a very genial, fun conversation, but it was also, I understand kind of a risk for you guys in a sense of, you were wondering like how your audience would receive it. Right.
3: Honestly, it is probably the first time that we took the step that was our original intent in starting our show and starting the podcast. Cause as you said, tattoos and Jesus, Right. Like it seems like two names that don't go together. And so, and that was the whole heart and soul kind of behind it. Like, you know, we're both people of strong faith and we also have tattoos. So it kind of represents us. But Mm -hmm. then, in the same way, we wanted to be a platform where, with a positive attitude and open minds, we explore different things about the Christian faith or even outside the Christian faith and just say, Hey, this is a platform where we can hear your story and hear experiences. And we're not here just to hear, like, right? We just want to talk about it. And Probably a year and a half ago, Josh texts me. He's like, "Dude, I'm reading this book," and so for like a year and a half, we've been kind of at, in different spurts, diving into a book here, a book there, googling, doing some you know eschatol- eschatological research.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And through that process, finally, we're like, "Like, when are we just gonna come out of the closet and like do what we said we're gonna do and have the conversation on the podcast?" And honestly, I think we could both say like we're really glad we did.
1: Well, I what I I I say that I think in evangelicalism what you guys are doing I call the parking lot conversation. Right. You can't really talk about it in church, but out in the parking lot, you know, people are saying, "Man, what do you think about this?" That, and the thing that was interesting to me is that really I mean I think that both of you said that even though you were open to having people come on your podcast and talking about this more with you that It was really being uncomfortable with the doctrine of eternal conscious torment that that troubled both of you, and so that that's kind of it was that doctrine that eventually troubled you and launched you into thinking about other possibilities.
2: Right. Yeah. There was. um, We were like Marty said about a year and a half ago. Really, two years ago, we stumbled upon uh, theology in the raw podcast with Preston Sprinkle. Yeah, Preston Sprinkle. And that's yeah. the first time we even knew three views of hell existed. And we were like, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's three views of hell. Let me listen to this heresy real quick. But, and then we dove into it and we were like, okay, this, this actually has something to it. And that kind of sent us on a journey. And then, um, we actually ended up, we were working through this process. We were working side by side. Our offices were connected by a coffee pot. Uh, coffee pot room uh-huh. um and so anytime marty had a thought or i had a thought we didn't have patience we would just go to the office about look look hear me out let's let's <laughs> let's talk about this christian universe or let's talk about annihilation and so yeah. that happened for a long time and it just kind of blossomed into where we were finally willing to be exiled from our churches to talk <laughs> about it on the podcast and yeah. kind of uh get the conversation going
3: the worst thing ever for our theological beliefs is Josh going to the beach because he goes to the beach with thoughts that we've been chewing on. Uh-huh. He sits on the beach and he reads books and he makes comments and he comes back and we have like weeks of material.
1: <laughs> through it. It's a good time. It's a, it's a good time. Okay. So in your environment where you grew up, was eternal conscious torment just kind of the, I don't know, was it, was it sort of hammered like, OK, we're evangelicals. This is what we believe. Or was it just kind of, hey, we all know this is the unfortunate consequence. If people don't accept Jesus. Then the Bible tells us plainly that they're in for eternal, an eternal conscious torment and hell. And so we need to you know, work and see what we can do to save as many people as we can. And we need to make sure that we're on the right side of things, too. Was it. Was it kind of like that? It's just kind of it's just kind of a given. This is what we all know. Or was it really hammered in certain ways?
2: Uh, yeah. For me, it was that was that was it to a T. I mean, um, e- eternal conscious torment was right there beside the Trinity as far as doctrines go. Growing up, like it was undebatable. It was. I mean, did they use that exact term? Like, no, they just they just called hell eternal <laughs> conscious torment was hell. Like there was right. no like Greek Hebrew, like it was, it's all the same synonyms. Yeah. All the yeah. same
1: word. Hell is just, it, it, hell means everlasting, uh, an everlasting state of torment right. in, and the flames might not have been literal, but it was going to be, it was going to be hell.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and a lot of times the flames were literal, like it, when they, when they would <laughs> preach
1: it, it was like,
2: people will burn in hell. If you do not take this class about how to share Jesus and get over. Um, well, I think it was called fear. Jesus. What was it called? What's your evangelism about. classes that we would take in church? I don't know.
3: My, my experience wasn't
2: as um,
3: in your face because so Josh grew up, you know, in South Carolina and in moving to South Carolina, I have been much more confronted with that like judgment house view of hell that like literally our entire purpose here on earth is to save people from the flames, right? Mm -hmm. So hyper-focus, hyper-fixation, not always, but a lot of it, but I'm not from the South, right? I was born in Ohio, spent seven years in Pennsylvania, Middle school and high school, and yeah, north
1: your school, accent your accent really isn't there yet. No, I'm. No. get them there though, just like yeah. universal. This is right. what I it's kind say of a, is, kind of a disappointment on the accent.
3: That's right. Yeah. I use southern words, but not a southern accent. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so it's like I was shaped through, you know, the Midwest, kind of the North and stuff. And so there was, was like, that was the view. I mean, don't get me wrong. If I'm taking a multiple choice test,
1: yeah, but y'all Pearl, southern. Y'all weren't southern about it.
3: That's correct. and so it wasn't as I'm not gonna say dogmatic, but it wasn't as like in your face, yeah, you know, and so to question it doesn't rub as hard against me as you know some of the people that I go to church with and who grew up in this very, very strong view, but it definitely was like okay, it's it's an eternal it's an eternal state. Everyone is gonna leave eternally and you're either gonna leave eternally with God and it's gonna be paradise. Or we're going to live apart from God, and it's going to be you know hell to pay.
1: Okay, so if everybody around you is pretty much either you know affirming this at a very high level, or just kind of assuming it that this is the this is the reality, how then did you uh, start thinking out want to, or start thinking there was a problem with that, or want to think outside that box? Uh,
2: really, the the podcast with Preston? Yeah, Frankl. Preston. I mean that 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 really. That really opened up um, just uh, an idea to get to a place to where we would at least study it, and that we were yeah. open to trying to find out. Okay, well, I, I I remember sitting in my office and coming across the podcast, the Three Views of Hell, and then sending it to Marty, and Marty just like shocked emoji face, faces, like what What are we like? What is this? Are you trying to get us kicked out of church? Like, what are we doing? Um, and then from there on, it just opened the door to study and different conversations,
1: realizing there's more
2: outside
1: of the towns that we grew up in. There's well, Preston more. Sprinkle, Preston Sprinkle is is who is he, and why was he on your radar screen? So, and and that's a really good question because honestly, this
3: process starts long before. We stumbled into the topic of hell because hell is just one example on how we're like, oh, there's a fracture in my theology and I need to figure it out. Right. But that fracture predates hell by years, you know, and it probably goes back to like, you know, childhood issues. Right. But in being Josh talks about this a lot, being a counselor. Right. We're both licensed professional counselors, do a lot of addictions work in addition to any other type of counseling work. And you're consistently confronted with people of the same faith, of different faith, going through the worst times of their life, going through difficult times. And all of a sudden I realize all of these cookie cutter Sunday school answers are not sufficient, you know? I go back to 2018 when, when my life almost fell apart because of some situations in my family and realized that a lot of the, the panaceas, the simple answers of Scripture were not sufficient for my struggle. And so there was this part of us that I always, I think, because we, we just clicked, right? We became really good friends really quickly. And there was this collective thought of like, there's got to be more. And so we stumbled upon Preston's theology in the Raw. And I don't even know how. Like I don't I think, I think we think were Josh looking
2: up a Francis Chan interview he did. Yeah. Or something. And and then it just it, there was just tons yeah. of different interviews that he had did and And um, and
3: quickly so. what we realized is better than anybody else we had ever heard, Preston had a really high view of scripture, which we appreciated. He wanted scripture to speak truth to him. Yeah. And the most grace-filled. How can we share the love of Christ with the absolute maximum amount possible while still honoring what we believe is God's word? And I felt like He found attention there better than any other person I found. Because you know, we would read somebody and be like, "I believe with what they're saying, but I don't like how they live it out." Mm-hmm. Or you'd meet somebody else. It's like, I like how you're living it out, but I think you're throwing out the baby with the bathwater biblically. Yeah. And I felt like he kind of, you know, we both felt like he kind of matched those two things in a way that we just we just really appreciated. So we just well, listened my, to a uh, lot of
1: stuff. Uh, okay, so here's my here's my sort of impression about Preston Sprinkle is I first ran across him because um, you know, I've I've for the last several years since uh, you know, two thousand ten, I've really been Really been investigating Universal 2010, 2011, somewhere around in there. Really been investigating Universal Reconciliation, kind of following this conversation and how there was a big blow up with Rob Bell's book, Love Wins, and all Mm -hmm. that got going around that. And then there was this book that came out of Racing Hell by Francis Chan and Preston Sprinkle. And so Francis Chan was sort of the evangelist guy and Preston Sprinkle was the scholar guy. And it was really uh, a—it was kind of a defense, as I remember the book. It was kind of a defense of the standard eternal conscious torment view. But then I found out that after after uh, Preston wrote the book, he sort of softened his views and realized it wasn't as clear cut as he thought it was going into it. And then that, and then fast forward to 2016, and this book comes out, uh, Four Views on Hell reissued by Zondervan and cuz they had had a had had a one I think that was in um might have been in 1996 I think mm-hmm. was the original four views on hell and in that four views on hell published by Zondervan there was no mention of a universal reconciliation so then fast forward now Here's Preston Sprinkle editing a book, Four Views on Hell, and that Robin Perry writes one of the views, which is the universal reconciliation or the restoration view. And it's Preston Sprinkle who says, you know, I think that Robin Perry's uh Robin Perry's chapter here is a game changer. And he said, I don't find it ultimately persuasive, but I think what it does is it shows what a strong biblical argument can be made for universal restoration. And that it is definitely an orthodox option that should be considered. So, so Preston has been kind of an interesting figure to me in how mm-hmm. he has kind of moderated his views and become, I think, more sympathetic, although not finally persuaded about right. view.
3: And that's what I really because if anyone that I listen to theologically, I respect his theological rigor. Like he studies, like he is a scholar. And yet, he, to still have this kind of in an open hand, where he's yeah. like, I don't, I don't exactly know. Um, that leads me that I just find a lot of respect
1: in that. Yeah, well, I was really happy with Preston because one of one of one of my goals was just, you know, please don't shoot, like, right, <laughs> yeah. hold, your, yeah. hold, hold your fire. You yeah. know, uh, maybe my position on Christian universalism might not be heretical maybe it fits within the historic christian tradition and maybe there can be a sufficient biblical case made for it enough so that zondervan can issue a book with preston sprinkle as the editor and have robin perry write a chapter there and so maybe this isn't as far out as a, as it might seem
3: and because we were i respect so much of how preston approaches his theology and stuff instantly i was like okay if if he holds this in an open hand Who am I to all of a sudden be like, well, I know the dogmatic truth on this bad boy. You know, when someone who is is so well studied, you know, and then you can make the argument, well, there's other people well studied who feel pretty strong about it. But I think Josh and I just came to respect Preston so much that when he said something, we're like, you know what, we need to dive deeper. And so this idea of annihilationism and because really it was Josh is always like three steps ahead of me. You know, he's at fault for all this. So he comes out and he's like, dude, in like one weekend, he's like, eternal conscious torment's out the window. I'm an annihilationist. And I'm like, well, I find it compelling. But, and then he jumps over to ultimate reconciliation. I'm like, you know, that's compelling. But now I'm an annihilationist. (laughs) (laughs) And so, I know it's kind of scary. We'll see what the next step is.
2: Yeah. Marty's, he's, he's well on his way is what he's saying. He's well on his way.
1: (laughs) Well, it sounds like um, that you both are sort of experiencing kind of a, a whole new worlds that you didn't even know existed. So it's kind of like this avalanche of new information and new possibilities and new ideas and new thoughts. Yeah, I mean
2: it was it was a lot to take in. I think that's why it took so long for us to really talk about it on the podcast because we wanted to digest all of that information before we just threw an opinion out there mm-hmm. and then just have everybody calls heretics, kick us out of the church. And then we're just roaming around churchless for no reason. <laughs> so we, we really studied it up. And I think we said that on the podcast too, like, Hey, we, we've had a lot of background talks about this for a long time. And we feel like now's the time. Now's yeah. the time yeah. to kind of bring it up, talk about it. We've studied it. We wrote it. It was our, it was, it was, probably our most studied episode most laid out episode um as far as any podcast that we've recorded because we had notes we had questions like we knew people would want to shoot us down and we wanted to be ready for answers and approach it the right way so that they would at least hear us out
3: yeah i mean because we i mean we're you know, we have a little tagline. It's like where the righteous meets the ridiculous. So like, we like to be funny. We like to be goofy, but not at the expense of taking something seriously. You know, mm-hmm. you can take something really seriously and want to do it, do just due
2: diligence uh, and still have fun in the process. <clears throat> yeah. Which is why we named
1: it "Hail Nah. And it was for Christian. <laughs> <Universalist>. <laughs> okay. So let's, let's just, uh, just trace some of the things for me, Josh, that, um okay, so you go to uh Annihilation and you think, hey, this solves some problems. I'm like, hold on. Maybe the universal reconciliation even solves more problems. So how did you make that progression?
2: Um, uh, so it's it was interesting because I was full blown annihil- uh, annihilationist um for I don't know, probably a year. Yeah, about a year and a year, half year or so. Yeah. And I was like, this is it. This is definitely it. This is this is the truth. And then Christian Universalism or Ultimate Reconciliation was just like, oh, I mean, that's that's cute, but it's not, it's you know, it's not cute. for not for me. Um, and then as I started to study it and dive into it more, and you know, we mentioned before, you you get into counseling sessions and it's still once once the excitement settles of no eternal conscious torment. Like once that's out the, like just to have that out the window was so exciting that I'd take anything. Um, and so annihilationism has a lot of evidence towards it. And so once that excitement settled, it still didn't sit quite right with me when, um, when I got comfortable with it. And so there was a still, there was still a little bit of just, I don't know. And so I was, um, I actually had a Christianity today magazine And the, the article was not really supporting David Bentley Hart, but I was like, man, that sounds like an interesting book that they're trying to not promote. And (laughs) I
1: bought the book and it was at the beach and I read the book. So you're reading that all shall be saved by David Bentley Hart at the beach, which is not what I would call an easy beach. No, no,
2: it's definitely, it definitely was not. (laughs) He, he read it at
3: the beach and I think I listened to it on audible the week after.
1: OK,
2: right there. There was a few times where I went through it multiple times and I still was like, you know what, I'm just going to I'm just going to push forward here. I'm just going <laughs> to <laughs> grasp what I can grasp and we're just going to keep on trucking. Um, but he presented a lot of great points and topics. And then so that led me just to research more about ultimate reconciliation and even um, come to Grace Saves All podcast. Like we, I, I listened to some of your episodes I listened to, uh, I got your book like we in, and, and then I, you know, Thomas Talbot and you know Brad George. So there, there's a lot of like figureheads that I landed on. Once I kind of allowed the topic and allowed the theology to have a say for itself without me just automatically shutting it down because that's kind of what I've been taught most of my life. So, and that's, and then having conversations with Marty, Marty was literally Marty and my wife were the two people that I talked to about. I didn't talk to, to anybody else. I didn't want anybody (laughs) that I was studying this topic. And now I would love to talk to anybody about it, which is why we did the podcast.
1: Okay. So now uh, when you're on, if, if, if you are thinking about um, annihilationism or conditional immortality, probably a better Mm -hmm. way to put it. If you're thinking about that and you settled there, Well, yeah, you have rejected eternal conscious torment, but you have gone to something that is still um, has some more acceptability in evangelical circles. It's starting to gain some. Yeah. I mean, it's not the primary view, but it is an acceptable kind of secondary view. And Mm -hmm. you might not, you know, be disfellowshipped from a church over it or have anybody give you too much problem over it. But if you start saying, you know what, I, I think I'm but universal reconciliation, I think might actually be working for me a little bit better. Well, now you've kind of crossed a red line. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and that, now that would cause some serious, that could yeah. cause some serious problems. Yeah. And it definitely has. I mean, it's, I tell Marty all the time, I'm,
2: I'm still a free agent for church because I don't really know where I fit in right now, but, um, I yeah, it is. I've had conversations with people at church, um, and it didn't go well. Uh, just in the sense of, well, we're not going to talk about that. That's not. Do you, you can you know you, you need to read more. I I heard that a couple times, um, and so I I realized that maybe I just need to find a place where at least the conversation is more open. Um, yeah, and, and I've have
1: already I've already put in a commercial for you for the First Christian or Christian Church Disciples of Christ congregations right, right, if they're right. around in your area. But the thing is going to be is that it's uh mainline the the Christian church disciples of Christ is going to have a much different feel than an evangelical you know congregation mm-hmm. and uh so i i'm I don't know how well the disciples might work for uh for you um it might just be um I don't know just trying out some different congregations and just kind of seeing like if there is one out there somewhere that Maybe there's a disciples one or some different kind that might accept you at some point.
3: You know, but I think, too, that that feeds into and this not against you, but a, a, a kind of a lie that I feel like I've been told we've been told. And that is this is right. And to go over here is just going to feel wrong. And, and what I have found is because I told Josh, I said, you know, it it was kind of unnerving for me to have that conversation just to talk about annihilationism because I felt like, oh my goodness, I'm kind of being vulnerable here. And the fear said, this is not going to go well. As soon as it was done, there was an overwhelming freedom. I told him, I said, I feel so free right now because I've been honest. I've been authentic. And I think the same is true for church in that I've been told, like, if you're around people that are different than you, if you're around you know, people that believe different than you, if you go to a church service that's different than you, you know, it's like, I feel like it's going to feel evil or something. But when you enter into a room where, you know, people are generally genuinely seeking after God, there is this peace and kind of like the peace that passes all understanding. There's this peace mm-hmm. that says, we may worship different, but you're my people. You know, there's a connecting point there that I found to be really cool um, and so, even though you're right, it would probably feel really different. It's like, man, this is a really different church. To be at a place where we feel open, right, is like that feel. You know, there's a freedom there that I think is from Christ present in that room.
1: So, Marty, what was it like for you when Josh was like, "Okay, I am. You know, I think I'm. I'm going to roll with this. Yeah, I'm going to roll with this uh, universal reconciliation for a while, and I'm going to." Uh, I think I feel pretty good about it. And as a matter of fact, I'm 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 ready to even talk about it on the on the podcast.
3: Sure. <laughs> it was a little unnerving at first because again, like it's funny, this the episode that we're releasing this week, we talk about what is shame, how has the church used shame, guilt, conviction? What is that? And and in that moment I instantly was like, I don't want judged. I don't know if you know, I don't want the pressure that I feel like will happen. You know, and there was a little bit of fear too, because I've never told Josh this, but a few years ago I had a really good friend of mine who um, we we connected a lot over theological issues and he kind of deconstructed in an unhealthy way to the point that I feel like he he rejected his beliefs for self-serving interests because he got to the point that he wanted to do what he wanted to do and didn't want anyone to tell him and he walked away from the faith. And in that process, he ended up dying, like he was killed. And it was pretty traumatic, truthfully. And um, and so like that was that is
1: kind of the fear that can kind of go with the deconstruction.
3: Right. And so like that was my only experience of having somebody close to me start to kind of pull away the layers of their faith Mm -hmm. in a radical way. And so Josh comes in. I said, oh, great. Here's another friend that's going to get killed on me, you know. (laughs) but he's redeemed it for me because it's like, no, no, no. Like we can tether off. Like there's some truth here that we're going to anchor to. And then we can start questioning and unraveling and in doing so expose some questions, expose some answers, um, but still take stay tethered to the faith that means so much to us without the rigidness that's often present.
1: Okay. Well, what I'd like to do now is uh, Josh, I'd like for you to say, what you think are the strongest points for the conditional immortality argument and then Marty I would like you to say what you think the strongest points are for the universal reconciliation so you can kind of say what you think are the strongest points of the position that you're not okay <laughs> that you're not advocating and we can just kind of cuz I think that there are uh, the the exercise that I want to do here is to say I think there are good cases that can be made for both yeah and so rather than jumping on you let's let <laughs> Let's, let's let um, let let Josh give the well. Let's let's talk to Josh. What do you think are the strongest cases for the strongest case for the um, annihilation position or conditional well, immortality?
2: That wasn't the plan. Dad. Our plan was to convert Marty. We don't need to support him right now, um, and don't no. say none. Yeah, I thought about it. It crossed my mind. No, um, for, well, I mean, you know, I was fully sold on it and what really sold was how the bible reads when it comes to things like hell when it comes to things like um perish everlasting life everlasting punishment um it when you read the bible annihilationism sticks out more in a way when it comes to the words that you're reading and so um there was there was moments where it's hard to get around it You know, like you know, John three sixteen. You you won't perish, but you'll have everlasting life. Right? Yeah, there it is, right there. Right? Yeah, like it's it's like okay, (laughs) how did I not see this when I was (laughs) believing people were burning forever? Like, um, and so it the scriptures really smacked me in the face when it came to that position. Like it really, um, spoke to that aspect of it, and it was a constant pattern. You know, like from from old to new testament like perishing and you know what hades is like a lot of the points that universal um or that ultimate reconciliation makes you know annihilationism can also make the same points they just go a different direction it's not necessarily
1: and another thing that sort of you know because i held the the annihilation position for a long time and i think that i mean i think that it's a very strong Biblical case can be made for it, mm-hmm. and it's, I especially like the argument that the uh, that Gehenna, the background of Gehenna was this valley of destruction, mm-hmm. and so the whole thing that Gehenna represented was destruction. So that the worms, you know, the worms and the fire didn't were not extinguished until they did their work. And what was the work that they did to right. destroy, to consume? Right. You know, so the fire that consumes, and so this idea that that god is finally um, a cons- that can finally consumes that which is evil and so uh, i i want maybe i ask you i'll ask you this question marty like for me when i was thinking about annihilationism i was imagining that you know that that somehow god would even pursue people past the point of death mm-hmm. and that god wouldn't lose anybody over a simple <laughs> misunderstanding but somehow it might mm-hmm. be the case that god would even present God's self and goodness and grace and mercy and justice in an absolutely clear kind of way, but the person might still just say, you know what? I don't want anything to do with that. I I don't want to be with you. Yeah. I don't want to be with you. I would rather not exist for all of eternity. And, and, you know, God could keep working and working and working, but finally they would just be, the, the, the part of them that says no, just finally becomes so persistent that they just get kind of locked into that. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I, and I agree. And honestly, I don't have any biblical dis- like a way to push back on that. Yeah. But I also don't have a lot of biblical evidence that say that is true. It's like, if you carry out what we know about Christ, it's consistent, right? That idea that he pursues us beyond the grave. And then, uh, but I struggle, and this is where Uh, I'm I'm supposed to be talking about the points of it. But anyway, that's where I (laughs) struggle is sometimes I think ultimate reconciliation carries on a theme that's in Scripture, but then it starts adding to the narrative and says, therefore, I think these things are going to happen. But I'm like, but where does Scripture say that? Like, it's true. It wouldn't surprise me if it's true. It's really compelling. Uh, But it's like Scripture comes just short of saying this is what's going to happen.
1: Well, and this is where we get to say that. Well, some of our favorite proof texts <laughs> would be things like, "Well, Jesus says if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all people to myself." There, I win.
3: Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah. that's. But the interesting point is, what was? I, well, okay. We were going to let's uh, let's let's switch back, okay? Because I originally said, "Yeah, okay." So now, yeah, um, Marty, compelling- why don't you say? Yeah, what, what did you find compelling about the universal this reconciliation is where argument?
3: I, this is where I really struggle. And maybe it truly is just, you know, I. it feels so wrong to completely walk away from something that was so foundational, mm-hmm. you know, um, because at, at face value, I truly cannot disagree with anything like that your book lays out. Like when you came on our podcast and you kind of laid out the
1: five ways to view it because. Yeah. The five points. I have a five point picture of God that I think goes with the theology where grace goes to all and grace saves all. Face
3: value. I agree with everything you say, you know? And so to
1: me, except that I somehow got the wrong conclusion.
3: Except that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And that's where, okay. So this is where I struggle and I pray about it a lot is God, Lead me to the truth. Yeah. Right. Lead me like I want to find the truth regardless of what people think, regardless of what my history has primed me to feel. You know, like I want to have the boldness to say, I believe this is true. So the most compelling things to me are when you shift, when you allow yourself to say, okay, let me let go of the preconceived notions that I've been primed with that I project into the Bible that I project into these verses, like John 3, 16, we are we're primed to have this eternal conscious torment. So we just read it into the verse. And once you realize that that was the most shattering thing to me is when Josh says, do me a favor. He said, look at these verses and remove this preconceived notion and tell me what they mean. And to me, I was like, Oh my goodness. And, and so in the same way, when I, when I started looking at ultimate reconciliation, it's a it's not a, let me redefine what you've been looking at. It's, let's take another perspective completely, right? Not yeah. one sinful man to God, but loving father to sinful children, right? Yeah. It's, it's a complete, like, let's just, let's turn the world around and look at it from a different perspective.
1: And to me, I was like, you know what? That's really Interesting, and, and I you know let me just say that 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 John three sixteen passage, I think when I was going through my process, I was just like, okay well let me let me look at these passages that seem to argue for annihilationism and let me see if there's any other arguments and mm-hmm. and the one argument that I came across that was interesting is that and you can find this if you just look up John three sixteen uh, and present tense verbs mm-hmm. and and so those um those verbs there in that verse are written in the active voice in the present tense. And anybody, you can go to Bible Hub and look up Greek interlinear on John 3.16 and find out those are in the active indicative, you know, sort of, it's a, Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a verb tense that implies kind of an ongoing action. It sounds awkward in the English, but you could make a literal translation of it. And there's some Bible translations that do this and it it comes out for that God So loves the world that he gives his only begotten son. Whoever is believing is receiving the eternal life or the aeonian life of God. And whoever is not receiving this life is perishing. And I read this. I read one story about this Baptist minister who who came across all of this. And he said, wait a second. It looks to me like this is an ongoing thing. This isn't like, oh, I believed. And so I'm saved. This looks to me like it's an ongoing action. Oh, I'm believing. And therefore, I am being saved that it's, it's something that's happening. And, and he apparently, at least the story, I don't know if it's true or false, but the story I read was that he got fired because they said, no, that's not what we, we believe in this church. It's, you know, it's a point. So it's just interesting. Once you allow yourself to look at some different ways that they can be translated and you take those glasses off and you just allow yourself it to me, the exercise is helpful because it helps me to see like, Oh, I can see how somebody else could get to that position. Maybe even if I don't decide I want to ultimately embrace it, Mm -hmm. but at least allows me to see like, they're not ignoring scripture, but they might be looking at it a little different, a little differently.
3: And and, and you're right because the evangelical oftentimes, almost to a fault, looks at the text in a very literal manner, right? It's like, what do these words mean at this? And we've already determined what they're going to look like. And, and I think from the ultimate reconciliation, we're like no, 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 let's look at the global picture of what's happening in Scripture, and yeah. and that's one of the things that's like redemption, the grace of God always is sufficient, and He ultimately redeems. The entire Old Testament was there's consequences for your action, but I will leave a remnant, in which I will bring redemption. Redemption is always the end, not judgment. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that's really compelling. Like, I cannot disagree with that. So does that theme also globally, like really macro, apply to the whole Bible beginning to end, that ultimately redemption is the last story, not judgment? You know, and I found like that doesn't disagree with Scripture, you know, and then the whole verse of through one man sin entered the world in Adam and through one man, Jesus Christ, you know, redemption comes. It's like, Okay that's really compelling and i find really solid truth you know and realize you know what you know we're told if you if you read the bible in this literal hermeneutical exegetical way this is the truth you'll always land on and anyone that believes it differently sucks at their interpretation of the bible and then you go and you start reading these other theologians like Preston Sprinkle or yourself and stuff and you're like you know what they have excellent biblical understanding and they're able to paint a picture that is also very biblically grounded and fully understood that suggest maybe it's not what we've always thought.
1: Mhm. One thing that that happened to me is um uh, back in the in the mid 90s I did a doctor of ministry paper on uh, the diff- three different views of hell and that's when I that's when I looked at eternal conscious torment and uh, conditional immortality and universal restoration. At the time, I wasn't, I was kind of like you, Marty. I wasn't persuaded by the universal restoration. But back in the mid 90s, there wasn't like Thomas Talbot and David Bentley Hart and Brad Jerzak mm-hmm. and some of those other figures. Uh, it was mainly like folks like John Hick. It was more like a pluralistic universalism, not a distinctly yeah. like Christian universalism. So I found myself just not persuaded for whatever reasons. But in investigating the different viewpoints, I I investigated the arguments for eternal conscious torment. And one of the arguments for eternal conscious torment is that the destruction passages like like uh, in the Luke in 15th chapter of Luke, you've got the lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost son. Well, those are all described as being in a state of they're all said to be destroyed in the Greek apollumi. Well, so there was a person that was arguing for eternal conscious torment and the argument that they were making is, well, in clearly Something can be in a state of destruction, but still be in existence because the coin was destroyed, but still in existence. The sheep was destroyed, but still in existence. And the sun was destroyed and said to be dead, but still in existence. So it's possible for something to be destroyed and existing at the same time. They were using that argument to say that something could be eternally destroyed. Okay, so that was their argument for eternal. That was how they were dealing with like annihilation passages. Well, then I realized, wait a second, I could use that same, almost that same argument for universal restoration, because mm-hmm. I could say that something could legitimately be destroyed, even completely destroyed, but still um, could be, there could be a redemption on the other side of a complete destruction, and that mm-hmm. something could be in a state, existing in a state of destruction. Anyway, it was, so it was kind of funny to me how it was an argument from, un, it was an argument from somebody who's arguing eternal conscious torment that ended up making me see the word, the Greek word apolumi differently than I had before.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That just, I mean, it's just interesting. Once you get into the world of all these arguments and counter arguments, you start seeing how they combine in different in ways that you're kind of unexpected, I guess yeah. I'll say.
3: And I've, you know, one of the things I was always taught, right? I have half a seminary degree. So one of the things I learned in my <laughs> half a seminary degree was, because at the end of the day the reason we have multiple views on hell for example is cuz the bible doesn't actually give us the full picture right there like you can make arguments all like we we don't know the exact 100% full picture and that's true for a lot of theological stances right that's why they have different views mm-hmm. and one of the things we're said is okay but we look at the the brunt, like what is the biggest pile of evidence suggest right? And if there's a verse or a passage that are outliers to that, that seem really clearly to suggest otherwise, we have to assume that the majority of the evidence speaks to the truth, and we need to figure out what's different about this outlier that probably isn't saying what we think it does. And when I did that, I was like, ECT immediately loses almost all its energy, because at a minimum, All the evidence, the like Josh said, a lot of the metaphors and stuff at a minimum are annihilationist at a minimum. And there's also more evidence for ultimate reconciliation, in my opinion, than even ECT. And so I'm like, if you're looking at the fullness of the evidence, I am like that one passage, right, that Luke passage or, Mm -hmm.
1: you know, some of these other ones, I'm like,
3: they become outliers instead of cornerstones.
1: Yeah. Well, even the one, the one for eternal conscious torment, the famous one is uh, Matthew twenty-five forty-six, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, there the, the goats go away into what's usually uh, translated in English. They go away into eternal punishment, which seems to be a lock for the uh, for the eternal conscious torment camp. But then when you look at the Greek, well, now you're it's an Aeonian colossus. Well, now you've got this word Aeon and you've got this word colossus. Well, there's lots of different uh Aeon can mean an age or it can mean of God. A colossus is some type of correction. Uh there's another Greek word temoria, which tends to have more to do with retribution, whereas colossus tends to have more to do with restoration or healing. So right there, now you're in a big discussion that could go lots of different directions. Mm-hmm. And so um, and and then this and this discussion that we're having I, like when I went to seminary, it was in the 80s and um, there wasn't an internet at that time and but now, if people want to get in get online and just go to a Greek Hebrew Greek or Greek English interlinear New mm-hmm. Testament, they can look up the Greek you can look up the Greek word, you can look up you can look all of this up yourself and and so in a way, kind of anybody, I don't want to say sort of anybody can be a biblical scholar, but anybody can at be an least armchair now,
3: quarterback scholar kind of thing. Well,
1: anybody, I mean, anybody can now look at these words and yeah. sort of, and we can, to me, the playing field is a lot more leveled. Now, yeah, at yeah. least a lot of the same basic information is out there. Mm-hmm. And we're all kind of now to me, we're all just kind of looking at it and kind of scratching our heads. And I know that I just decided, well, Universal reconciliation seems to be working for me. I'm just going to I'm going to try this on and keep rolling with it. And I guess the way to find out about it is to just try it and keep with it and to see what kind of if I put it out there, what kind of pushback I get or what kind of response I get. So that's what I like about what you guys are doing is you're kind of like, okay, here we are best we understand ourselves right now. We're going to put out our basic conclusions for the world to see and then let's get the feedback. Let's see what people say. Let's get, let's get this tested and, you know, see if we change our mind or see what happens.
3: And I say a lot on the podcast, like my, my mom jokes, my favorite question growing up was why, 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 why I I question everything. And that hasn't necessarily changed. And, and I, I encourage people like ask questions, push back, push back against me because I think when we push back with, with good hearts, right? Not evil mm-hmm. in evil ways, but in good, meaningful ways, we either reaffirm the faith that we thought was true or re refine it. Who wants to hold on to something that's not true if you can find more truth by just exploring? Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so I well, just. Well, Josh, let, let me ask you a little bit to kind of uh, get some of your thoughts about. I, I know that one of the things that I kept thinking about was. Uh, if God is is light in whom there's no darkness at all, if God is 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 love and if God knows the end from the beginning, then somehow God entering, if, if all are not saved, then God entering into creation would have known this and would have known that he was or God was committing people to these paths of ultimate ruin that he knew that that would turn out bad for them. Yet he went ahead with creation anyway And I couldn't connect that, especially this is after reading David Bentley Hart, a lot of David Bentley Hart, Mm. you know, that somehow that the, that the ultimate outcome of creation was also the revelation of the final moral character of God, because God is the first cause of all that is. So I don't know, was it, was some of that big picture thinking kind of what you found really kind of persuasive? Um, Yeah. I mean,
2: there was like going back a little bit to what y'all were saying there was tons of biblical evidence for these two views. And I was like, what's, what's kind of the breaking point for one or the other. And I started to explore kind of the, I guess the Methodist Episcopal Anglican type of way to read scripture and determine truth, which was, you know, scripture, reason, experience, and tradition. And they use these things to determine truth. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. Like that makes a lot of sense. Um, instead of just having scripture only and me blocking out any of these other elements to help inform that. So when I added those into the picture, I started to kind of bring more of a philosophical, I guess, aspect into it mm-hmm. and kind of start juggling some of these words like, you know, well, if God is sovereign, if God is just, if God is loving and start kind of working through some of those aspects to help kind of push me to one or the other of the biblical aspects that we've already kind of discussed. And so, you know, it was, it, it kind of came to a head in an, um, I think we mentioned this on our podcast too, the Thomas Talbot, three views of a Western. Yeah. The three views, the three
1: Western views of God God, that you can put together. Yeah.
2: Right. And it was like, everybody, is going to have a judgment at the end of the day and they're going to go to heaven or hell. God is also sovereign and God wants to save all. He's like, we believe all three, but they're very contradictory.
1: And I was like, well, you you can, if you put all three of them together, you end up with a contradiction. Right. So you have to give up one of them. What are you You going to give up?
2: Right. You have to give up one. Um, And so, you know, that really challenged me. And I landed on, um, the biggest thing for me was I landed on God's what, what is justice and what is just and what does that mean to us? And what does that mean to God? And, you know, having the background of being in counseling and, and therapy and seeing all these different people come through my office, me and Marty have said numerous times, like, you know, this person, you know, especially in addictions, it's like, you know, they've went through so much of, you know, just trauma or, you know, the relationships and, you know, upbringing and, and you're like, man, I, I understand why you started using like, you <laughs> it. like you've been through a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then you start putting yourself in their shoes. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, what makes me think that I'm not making the same decisions that they're making with the same exact upbringing, same exact genetics, same exact anything? And so then you take that to another level of like, OK, well, if God knows that, how can he? Send somebody to heaven and somebody to hell if every single person put in the same situation makes the same decisions
1: yeah that That's that, that to me right. sounds like yeah you're engaging more of a philosophical reason right. reason type of thing. Tell me a little bit about when you discovered that there were that there were early Christians that had been sympathetic to this view, right yeah, yeah was that, that, was, that a supr- was that a surprise, and how that did was, that affect yes. you complete shock,
2: complete shock i didn't know. I didn't even know there was a view outside of Rob Bell, to be honest with you. Like I didn't didn't even know, like I was taught like Rob Bell is just this one-off guy who's trying to like gain money and followers. And, and, but then you, you trace it back and you read some of these really early um, Christian church fathers who really, I mean, to, in my personal opinion, I guess, um, were the closest to, I guess the church era that we can get to outside of the people in the Bible, like Paul, like they had these beliefs that, you know, ultimate reconciliation was it, including the people, you know, um, that started to approve the Bible, started picking the books out. Like these people read these scriptures and said, yeah, this should be in here because ultimate reconciliation is true. Like, I mean, and you know, even in the creeds and the creeds never discuss, you know, Hey, ECT is true. And anybody that doesn't believe it in the Christian, like they didn't even touch that topic because everybody had these views. And so I feel like we're kind of bringing the light a little bit and, you know, guess going back in time a little bit of, Hey, we're getting to a place to where we, where we used to be when early, ch- yeah. ch- early church leaders started talking about it and still could, Discuss, love each other, praise Jesus. There wasn't no. this dogmatic disfellowshipping. Right.
1: Yeah, well, like, and I kind of feel like the relationship that the two of you have is the same kind of relationship the early Christians had with each other. That that yeah, like, oh, okay, you think it's this way. I think it's a little more this yeah. way. And you could even throw in somebody who thinks of eternal uh, conscious torment. You could even throw them in, and they would have all have <clears throat> they they would have all had a good discussion, but they wouldn't have thought about maybe we should disfellowship
2: right right uh,
1: yeah the uh, maybe we should disfellowship the christian universalist guy yeah and going back it was i mean
3: learning about the early church history was important but for me it was what was it augustine and who was the other guy when kind of western christianity comes from um yeah. it, it realizing when you go back just a couple hundred years to when kind of Western Protestant Christianity all comes from, we were led to believe that that belief system that was kind of established there that started back at Paul, and it's like no 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 no, like you just said it was very tolerant it was very open like we can fellowship disagree we're all start part of the same faith here guys we're wrestling with this but then what happens is you have this turn a few hundred years ago. And it's like, no, we're establishing these are true. And then everything has come from those roots. Yeah. Like, Oh, this doesn't actually go all the way back like you think it does.
1: Yeah, this is, I think, probably a little bit of oversimplification. But the way I read it is uh, there was a lot of variety, different kinds of opinion in the first 500 years. And then you start getting a narrowing down to what I think of as the Western Augustinian Christian Tradition, Mm -hmm. And that's really what comes through, you know, the Holy Roman Empire, that's what comes into Europe. And then the Protestant Reformation is a rethinking of some of those things. But some of the basic ideas of, no, there's a hell of eternal conscious torment, people are born into original sin, Mm -hmm. Um, that those views weren't really challenged. Some new ideas about how faith works, as opposed to the sacraments and different things like that came into view. But those, but we basically inherited kind of this Western Augustinian worldview that came over, that we all inherited in America, kind of right. in one form or fashion. And I think what's happening now is that we're in a new Reformation. And basically what we're doing is we're saying, okay, well, let's look at the whole thing now. Let's, let's go all the way back to the beginning. Let's look at the last 2,000 years of history. Let's get the whole story and let's, let's be a little freer to reclaim things that might be useful to us that we didn't even know about. Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. I mean, and, and it's good to have um, those conversations and have that attitude towards it because, to be honest with you, if anybody or any of your listeners are listening to this and kind of going through this process, um, it, it can be scary. Like, deconstruction is scary. Like, when I first started reading some of this and I was like, ECT is – you know, not biblical and like you're tempted to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You're tempted just to throw it all away. There is a temptation there. Once you realize that some of these quote unquote truths that you learned growing up are not necessarily as true as you thought they were, there's a temptation to go ahead and throw all of it away. And it's the only way that's not going to happen is if churches and people have that open conversation like they used to have back in Mm -hmm. in the early days where we can talk through these topics and at the end of the day still be okay with each other but it's there's an environment to where if you disagree on some of these things we're not going to accept you then you're hesitant Mm -hmm. to talk about it and then there's an unraveling within yourself that you're you know, you end up just leaving it all because you don't know where else to go because yeah. nobody wants to talk about
1: it. Well, I think that your I think that your Tattoos in Jesus podcast is really going to be helpful for people who are like you guys who who you know, you've been in and around evangelicalism. You know the you know the ins and outs of it, and right. and I think that they are going to um, really appreciate what you're doing and um, just the conversation that you're having. And the thing that I, what I, I guess the main reason I really wanted to have you guys on here is, I just think you're really modeling what a healthy like conversation. To me, this is a very healthy deconstruction that's going on. Yeah, here. right. Yeah, yeah. You guys are still believing in God, following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're still like engaged spiritually. You're doing this podcast together, and you know, you're doing your work in your addictions counseling out of a love for these people that's that's inspired by your Christian faith. And, you know, you're just wanting to be as open and as honest and as transparent about all of this as you, you can be. And so I, for one, just want to applaud you all for taking that step and having this conversation about this. I think it's going to, I think that what you're doing is that kind of work that you're doing. I, I mean, I'm kind of from a mainline Protestant point of view, I'm kind of looking over at you all saying, that's interesting. Look at these two guys that grew up evangelical having this conversation. It's just interesting for me to hear you guys talking about it and uh, processing it. So I, for one, really appreciate it. And I think that there are a lot of people who will listen to your podcast, the Tattoos in Jesus podcast, especially if you've got an evangelical background mm-hmm. and you just want to tune in to some people that sound like you and know your experience and, uh, and, and they can even like reach out to you and like ask you guys questions. And uh, so, you know, so I guess I would say if, um, if you're an evangelical in deconstruction and you're wanting some folks to hang out with that can, you know, understand you and hear you, I'd be happy to send you to the uh, tattoos and Jesus podcast.
3: Yeah. We appreciate the compliment. That was our goal when we started this thing. And so when somebody like yourself or others reach out and say, this is the vibe, this is the feel we get when listening to you. yeah, And it was the intent that we had, we're like, we must've yeah. done something right. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, it was fun because I listened to your podcast and I was thinking, well, these are guys I would like to talk to. I think I'll just send them a message, you know, yeah. and just, just, uh, you just sound like you're having fun. You're enjoying yourself. You, you take yourself. I mean, you're trying to do your best job with this, but you don't take yourself so you, you you don't like take yourself too seriously. You have a lot of fun,
0: yeah. and it's just
1: a very very enjoyable podcast to listen to. Oh, we appreciate it. We that's that's it's a high regard from
2: you know from somebody like yourself. Like we love. Well, I just do. You know, like, I
1: mostly do the. I I just I do kind of you know the single podcast, and I do interviews. Yeah. But you guys have that kind of fun banter between the two yeah. of yourself that it's kind of it's kind of rare to really find that. And it's really cool that you guys are close enough to each other in what you're thinking that, you know, you're in the same general area, but if you listen to the podcast, the, the fun thing about it is that, I mean, it's fun when you agree with each other, but it's also kind of fun to listen to you guys disagree with each other. <laughs> we've, been you told, told, yeah. Yeah. So we've been told. Yeah. We've been told to disagree more. I'm kind of worried your compliments about,
2: about us being different is going to hold Marty back from being fully converted. And he's going to have to hold this position for the rest of our podcast. But it's all right. That's all right. We do. We do. We, we do appreciate
3: we it. We try to have fun. Yeah, you know, okay. not every not every conversation we have is as, as deep with in the weeds. You yeah. know, a lot of times it's maybe culturally relevant or just a thought yeah. that we had that we unpack. But at all times, we at least try to have fun. Like, yeah. that was honestly, when we sat down, we said, what makes a podcast successful? What's going to keep staying power for us as hosts?
0: Yeah. And we
3: had like basically two rules. It can't take too much time that it feels like a burden and we have to always be having fun. If we're ever not having fun, or it's just too weighty, then it's no longer worth it. And so we've tried really hard to to keep those things true, because it really yeah.
2: started with I was getting clinical supervision from Marty every week for an hour, and, and we spoke nothing about clinical and it stuff. Was the conversation <laughs> here on the podcast yeah. is what we were talking about. And some of us clinical, some of us you know counseling related, some of us random, some of us theological. And so we were like, man. You ever thought about starting a podcast? And he was like, "Yeah," and I was like, "Well, let's do it." As our supervisor. and so it just kind of it kind of turned into the Tattoos and Jesus podcast, and so it's really just you're, we're kind of inviting people into our conversations that we were having just yeah. not recorded <laughs> like it's <mean, laughs> a little it's a
3: little egotistical to say you know what as we talk i really think people would love to hear us yeah that's
2: also true that's yeah.
1: also- we're,
3: we're funny and have some good thoughts i think people would enjoy that
1: <laughs> well you know i mean we've lived in a world that has seemed so scripted for a long time and um i think that it's just nice i love the podcast medium because if you're, you know, if you're wanting to just listen to some other people that are maybe kind of knocking around some ideas like you, like, you know, but it takes, it does take some, it's, it's not as easy as yeah, it, right. as it yeah. might seem in order to do that and to kind of keep it fun and to, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so you guys just do a really good job of it. And I hope you keep doing it for a long time. Yeah,
3: it's funny because you go back and listen to early episodes and you may do the same thing. You know, I go back to episode one, two, three, four, and I listen and I'm like, I was impressed with what I, what we did back then. And then it's like, it's kind of cringy at times because yeah. you realize, and then you listen now and it's like, there's still tons of room to grow. You know what I'm saying? Like we're a hundred I think 30, 132 episodes in now, but you can just kind of see, you kind of, you, you get better at the flow of the podcast. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure you experience that because you're 140, what some episodes yeah. in. And, yeah. and it just, it gets to that point that it, that you get, you just get better at it.
1: Yeah. At a certain point, it stops feeling weird and it's just something that you're doing and you're just having fun with it. And you kind of get used to the sound of your voice and your idiosyncrasies and you just have, and you just have fun with it. So you guys are excelling at that. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on the grace saves all podcast. And I'd like to, uh, like I said, if you're uh, evangelical in uh, deconstruction or if you just want to hear two guys that are kind of goofy but kind of deep at the same time, yeah. knock stuff around, check out the Tattoos in Jesus podcast. I Thanks it. again, guys.
3: Absolutely.
0: Thank you for joining us in this episode of Grace Saves All. You can help spread the word by sharing this podcast with others and by giving it a rating on iTunes. If you want to find out more about David Or if you'd like to leave him a message, go to his website, davidartman.net. In the meantime, let's work together to help a hurting world know about the greatest news ever announced.